0: Thank you for sharing beauty with us. Uh, Last night at our uh, youth gathering, I was uh, sharing some of my story of how um, the Lord Jesus became real to me and I surrendered my life to him. And one of the things I uh, mentioned was that um, I I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus in the spring of 1995, late, late spring, 1995, right before the summer rolled around. I was a first year in college. And um, at, at that time, it's like, When Jesus became so real to me, uh, yeah, there's a song that we used to sing, said, waves of mercy, waves of grace, everywhere I look, I see his face. And that's what it was like. Like, everywhere I looked, I just... I saw Jesus, I wanted to know him, I wanted to love him, I wanted to pray, I wanted to be with him, I wanted to be in the word, I wanted to tell everybody, I I saw about Jesus, I would call up friends from high school and and just tell them about Jesus, I would call up family members and say, you need Jesus in your life. Um, that was uh, what God did in my life when I came to know him. It was like this, this beauty that made uh, this heart adore him, hope of a life spent with you that I wanted everybody to have. So I just went and told everybody about this God. And right around that time uh, in May, when summer rolled around, uh, well, summer break rolled around, um, our campus ministry and a bunch of other regional campus ministries were going away on a retreat still going on to this day, called Harvest Retreat up in Virginia. And I remember, like, I wanted to go so badly to that retreat because I just wanted to get with other people and, and just worship him and, and seek his face and sing the songs of the redeemed. And the only problem was I was uh, trying to apply for the Commerce School. And so there was this, uh, not the main summer session, but there was a summer pre-session only for students who wanted to go into the business school and so maybe like 30, 40, 50 people out uh, the entire campus of thousands of people would stick around, and that class happened to be at the same time as this retreat. And so I was really bummed out. I was really sad. I was actually really upset. I questioned God's timing, his purpose, his wisdom in all of these things that were happening. And I even went so far as to, to pray. I said, God, I know that retreat's going to be awesome, but could you somehow make it like not so awesome? Like, because if it's awesome, then, you know, if we're here, like, at a spiritual level and they're going to be up here and I'm going to be down here, I don't want it to be like that, God. So could you, like, kind of taper off the blessing so that they're not, like, flying a- ahead of me? And, and God just kind of gently uh, challenged and rebuked me. And he said, just because they're being blessed there doesn't mean that you can't be blessed here. And so I, saw, I said, well, that's a great idea. Like, God is not, like, If I'm pouring out my focus here, uh, these people get neglected. He's infinite and he's eternal and he is not limited in his scope or his ability to give blessing to his people. And so um, I did what I knew to do. I prayed and I read the word and I was uh, in the summertime, I was renting a room, subleasing a room from... Uh, one of the leaders of our campus ministry, and they had this bookshelf filled with Christian books. So I said, I'm going to read a book. I picked one off the shelf. It was called The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life, first Christian book I ever read by a man named Charles Stanley. I read this book, and it changed my life. And 22 years later, the things that I learned, this one secret, I suppose you could say, to the Christian life has just uh, remained, with me for all of these years. And so today I want to talk a little bit about what that is. John chapter 15. This is the last week that we're going to rediscover Jesus, at least in this way, at least in, in, in this manner together. We've looked at the seven statements. This is a seventh statement that Jesus makes where he specifically discloses his self identity. He says, I am something or other. We've looked at six of these things. Today we're going to look at uh, where Jesus says, I am the vine. What does that mean? about who Jesus is and what does that mean for who we are. We're going to read John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Um, the, the whole chapter is like filled with life and so many things that if I had uh, hours upon hours today, I would just walk through everything and, and, and explain, but there's a lot that we're not going to be able to, uh, to get to. So I just want to kind of do a big picture flyover and make it as practical as I can for us. John 15, God's Word, Jesus said these things last night of his life. John 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is God's word. Sometimes you have to ask this question. What does Jesus, what does God want like, from your life? What is God's great aim, his great mission, his great purpose for your existence? Okay, because a lot of times, I think we have in our minds what we think the answer is, and even if we have in our minds the right answer, in our practice, we have a different answer for what we think God's ultimate purpose for our lives is or ought to be. A lot of us think that God's great purpose for our lives is for us to be happy. Okay? That's why when we pray for something that we want and we don't get it, we get upset. Because we think, God, your purpose as a father is to make me happy. But God's greatest purpose in your life and in my life is not to make us happy. God's greatest purpose in your life and in my life is not to keep us safe. Because if it were that he would never send anybody to a difficult place, to a difficult job, to a difficult mission field, he would never send anyone to a hard place if his greatest aim for your life and mine was to keep us safe. But that's what a lot of us think. Some of us think that God's greatest aim is to make us comfortable. And so whenever something difficult happens, a hardship happens in life, we try to pray that away because we think God can't possibly be giving us something difficult because his greatest aim, functionally, practically, we often think is to make us comfortable. God's greatest aim for your life and mine isn't that if you're single, you get married. Believe it or not. If you're married without kids, that you have kids. If you're married with kids who are bad, that your kids be good. Right? That's not God's greatest aim for our lives. What is God's aim for our lives? We've got to understand this because if we don't have it, then it's like missing out on the box to the puzzle. All we're seeing is a bunch of pieces that don't seem to make sense. You've got blacks and you've got grays, and at the same time you've got these, these bright colors, and, but you don't know where these pieces fit. In verse 8, Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God's aim for your life is that you would be fruitful and that that fruit would be to the glory of God. That your life would honor God, that people would look at your life and they would give bravo God. They would praise God, they would worship God because they see fruit being born out of your life. And if you see that big picture... If you see that puzzle box, then you'll be able to walk through life accepting both blessing and difficulty from God and receiving it from the hand of a Father who loves us. What does that mean? In order for us to bear fruit to the glory of God, there's a God part and there's a you part to it. Okay? Two things I don't want to talk about here. Here's the first thing. God will do whatever it takes to make you fruitful. Okay? Okay, God will do whatever it takes to make you fruitful. You've fruitful, you got to see this and you've got to understand this. Okay, Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Okay, what is Jesus saying here? He said there's two things going on. He's the, he's the, the vine, okay, that comes up from the ground, the roots, Holy Spirit, the life-giving sap, and then there are branches. Okay, if a branch falls off, it means that it never belonged to to Jesus. Okay, if a branch is not connected to Jesus, there will be no fruit. If there's no fruit, it's because that branch is not connected to the vine. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. He's not giving a threat. Listen, Christians, if you're not bearing fruit, God's going to cut you off. That's not what he's saying. That flies in the face of the rest of Scripture and what we just said. Oh, no, you never let go. You never let go of me. If you don't bear fruit, would God let go of you? The Bible says no. What Jesus is saying, he's not giving you a threat Hey, start bearing fruit right now or else you're going to get cut off. He's saying, if you're not bearing fruit, it's because you have not been connected to me. That's what he's saying. He's just pronouncing the reality. If you're not bearing fruit, it's because you're not connected to Jesus. Can I ask you, is there fruit in your life? The fruit, Luke 3.8 says, that is in keeping with the repentance that you, in the confession of faith that you made, when you say, I follow Jesus, is there fruit in your life that shows people that you follow Jesus? If there's not, then the most probable reason is that you're not actually connected to Jesus. You think you are, you went to church, you hung out, maybe you, you did a discipleship course, but what Jesus has in mind here, he has just had his last supper with his 12 disciples, and one of them has walked out to betray Jesus. Okay, the 12 disciples, 11 now, are hearing Jesus and they're understanding, okay, he's talking about Judas here. Judas was with Jesus for three and a half years. He looked the part. He played the part. He even collected money for Jesus and his band of disciples. But he went out and he would later be cut off and commit suicide because he had no connection with Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, listen, you better bear fruit or I'm going to cut you off. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's giving a statement of reality. If you do not bear fruit, it's because you have no relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all he's saying. And it's very clear, and I think we need to then take inventory of our hearts. Am I really connected to Jesus like I say I am, or have I merely been playing the part like Judas has been? Okay, if you are bearing fruit, if there's evidence of fruit in your life, whether it be a little bit of fruit or a lot of fruit, here's what God does. Here's what God does. He says in verse 2, uh, not only is it cut off every branch that bears no fruit, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Here's what he's saying. If you've got fruit in your life, like there's evidence of Christ's life in you, then God will do whatever it takes in order for you to bear more fruit. And the process by which he does that is called pruning. And if you know anything about agriculture, viticulture, horticulture, then you'll know that pruning is a painful process. Two things that I think we have to understand as we go through this understanding that God's going to do whatever it takes in order to make us fruitful. You have to understand the nature of the process. Because if you don't understand the process, then it's going to be painful. We have to understand there's a result. right? God's desire in taking us through the process is so that there would be fruit. Okay, if you are a basketball fan, okay, uh, then you will understand that this word, the process, two words, means something very significant. If you're not a basketball fan, I'm going to enlighten you so that you can amaze all of your basketball friends with this idea of the process. <clears throat> in 2013, one of the well, they were a decent team, mediocre team. The Philadelphia 76ers hired a general manager named Sam Hinkie. Okay? Very cute name, right? Sam Hinkie, kind of like our senior pastor, Inky. Okay, but his name is Sam Hinkie. Okay, 2013. He's like a he was an Ivy League graduate, uh, MBA, super smart guy. And when they interviewed and hired Sam. Hinky, this is what he said. He said, listen, our team is decent. We're like number eight in our conference, which is like very much in the middle. Playoff team, but you're never going to be great. He said, the only way to become great is to get great players. And the only way to get great players, if you're in the middle of the pack, is you got to stink for a period of time. If you lose, then you will get better players in the following years. And so he said, we're not even close right now. So I'm going to begin a process. Okay, think about the process. It's not about the results. It's not about the outcome. It's about the process. And that's what he said. And so this term, the process, became famous starting in 2013. He said, we're going to lose. We're going to lose big time. We're going to have injured people who are not really injured, but we're going to say they're injured so that we can continue losing so that we can get a bunch of good picks, so that we can get a bunch of good players. And that was called the process. And along the way, man, it was brutal. They, They had the... They set the record for most consecutive games, losing, like losing the most consecutive games in a row. I think they lost like 21 games in a row. Is that right? Is that right? 21 games. That's like, you have to try really hard to lose 21 games in a row. That's crazy. That's against teams like who are not playing their good players against you because they know that your team stinks and you're going to roll over and die anyways. 21 consecutive losses. Uh, There was uh, people who said they are an abomination. They're ruining the NBA. Uh, they had uh, one season. I think last year they were they had the second worst record in the history of basketball. They were a bad, 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 bad team. And there was posters that said, "Right now we're stinky, but we trust Sam Hinky. <laughs> and they had to trust the process because the process was painful. And while they were going through it, they realized, "Man, this is terrible. This is awful." This is the worst thing we've ever gone through. But they understood that at the end of this process, there was going to be fruit. And so this is supposed to be the year that the process begins to bear fruit. And it better be because they trust Sam Hinkie, who incidentally got fired last year so he could not live through the process. But for the people, the fans, the players, the management, the organization that endured this They only were able to endure because the promise of fruit that was to come. God will do whatever it takes in order for you to be fruitful. Not just fruitful like you are, so that you would be even more fruitful. Any branch that bears fruit, he will prune in order that you will be even more fruitful. What does that mean? It means that in these branches, there were these other branches, um, shoots that would come off. And I don't, I, I, don't look at me like I'm an expert. I, the only reason I know is because I read a couple books and, and commentaries. But there are these shoots that would come off these branches, and they were called sucker shoots, right? Sucker shoots. The reason they're called sucker shoots is because they would suck the life out of the branches that kept it from bearing fruit so that these sucker shoots would only cause leaves and not fruit to be born. And so the gardener takes his shears and he cuts these sucker shoots off of the branch in order that all of the energy would be focused in the branch in order that fruit might be born within that branch and from that branch. And the process to cut and to snip and to prune is very painful, and it's the process that God uses in your life and mine in order to make you more like Jesus, so that when people look at your life, they would see fruit and they would honor God. If you're going through something difficult right now, okay, don't think that it's not because I'm it's because I'm not faithful, or it's because I'm not uh, fruitful. In fact, it's the opposite. The reason you go through pruning is because you are fruitful and because you are faithful and God wants to make you even more fruitful for the glory of God. So what does that pruning look like? What are the things that distract you from bearing fruit for the glory of God? For some of us, it's our love of money. Can I tell you? The love of money, the love of stuff And God will prune those things so that you would be laser focused on living for the glory of God. Maybe that means uh, you will or you have suffered loss, an investment, a property, a job. And God is saying, hey, I'm pruning you so that you might be more faithful. Maybe it's your reputation, it's your academic reputation. And God will allow something to happen in order that the grades that you think are going to get me to a place of joy and happiness in life. God snips and prunes those things away and through disappointment and through hardship. Maybe, maybe it's your image, like your image is squeaky clean and everybody thinks you're amazing and everybody thinks you're awesome and you take so much pride in that. And then all of a sudden someone comes to you and, and they say, you know what, I don't think you're as great as people think you are. And then they start telling others about that. And you begin to feel like, man, why is this happening to me? I'm just trying to do my best. And you feel like God is pruning you. Maybe it, it, there's a, There are a ton of different things that God can do. But can I ask you, is anyone going through that process right now? Yeah, man, I thought that having this image of a perfect family, man, this is going to be everything, and then all of a sudden, my child starts going wayward. Or my family was awesome up until now, and then... Uh, my parents start arguing, and this vision, this picture that I have of what life is supposed to be, this, this beautiful, wonderful, happy life, God starts pruning away at those things. Why? Because God wants to make you even more fruitful, All right? There's a purpose in it, and you have to remember not only the purpose and the process, but you have to remember the person who holds the pruning shears in his hands. Jesus says in verse 1, I'm the true vine, And the Father is a gardener. That your pruning, the pruning process has not been left to some haphazard person who's going to cut and snip and nip away and, and cut at things that, even things that, even this Lord, everything that he does is with intentionality and with purpose and with care and with concern for you in order that your life might be lived to the fullness of fruitfulness for the glory of God. You remember that if you're being pruned, that you have a father, and he loves you very much. And his hand is close to you as you go through this process. I I talk about this movie a lot because probably like, I I don't watch movies these days, so I'm always talking about this one that I have seen. Um, Boys in the Hood, 1990s, right? L.A. riots, giving light to the plight of uh, African-Americans and urban American, especially Life in the Hood. Beginning of the movie, this uh, little boy uh, named Trey Trey Styles, cool name Trey Styles, living with his divorced mom in the in the suburbs, and she realizes, man, it's time for this boy. He's like six, seven, eight. It's time for him to go live with his dad because th- he needs he needs a dad to guide him, even though his dad lives in the hood. And so she sends him Trey to live with his dad. His name is Furious Styles, and so he lives with his dad. And his dad, first night there, starts laying down the law. He says, I'm the king of this house. What that means is because you're my son, you're the prince. Like, I'm a prince. But but that still means that the prince has duties to tend to. And so he tells him he's got to rake, he's got to take out the trash, he's got to clean the floors, all this stuff. And then he points to his friends across the street who want to play with him, Doughboy and Ricky. He's like, Doughboy and Ricky, they don't have to do no chores. And Furious looks at Trey, and he says, look at me, son. Look at me, son. He says, those boys across the street, they don't have to do chores because they don't have a father. And these prophetic words, he says, you're going to see how they turn out. They end up, one, actually, at the end of the movie, both of them end up dead. It's not to say that, hey, he's saying, whether, Jesus is saying, listen, whether you've got a father or not in this life, You have a heavenly Father who loves you, who cares for you, who puts you through the pruning process even of doing difficult things because his desire in you is that you would be fruitful, that you would bear fruit in order that people would look at you and say, man, there's the glory of God in that person. Do people say that about you? Like they look at your life? Do they praise you for how great you are? Or do they say, dang, there's a God? who's alive, and I see it when I see my friend. There's a God who's real, and I see it in this person, in that person, in that person. The way that they live, there's something different about them. There's something beautiful about them. For whose glory is the fruit of your life pointing? The glory of God or the glory of your own greatness? The first thing that we see here is that your Father, God, will do whatever it takes in order to make you fruitful, even that painful pruning process. the second thing though, second thing that we see, there's the you part. Second thing is you can't be fruitful on your own. Can't be fruitful on your own. Verse four, "Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain. In me. You ever seen a branch on the, on the ground in front of your house, on the sidewalk in your driveway, there's nothing on it, and then the next day you've got grapes all over it? No, you won't see that because a branch by itself will never bear fruit. And this is what I learned 22 years ago sitting in that room reading this book. The only way that you will live a life that accomplishes anything is if you remain in Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do a lot of good things, but you will do nothing that is substantial and worthwhile and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy and to the glory of God, unless you're connected to the vine. A few years ago, I remember we were, um, a group of us went up to New York for a wedding. We were getting ready, uh, just like an hour before the wedding, And one of our sisters was curling her hair with a curling iron, uh, but the curling iron wasn't plugged in. And I said, ha, 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 that curling iron is not even plugged in. (laughs) And she said, but it was plugged in. And so it's still hot, and so for a little bit, it still has the effect of heat to curl the hair. I said, oh, that's very interesting, very interesting. And she's right, but you know what? Give it time, give it time. And if it's no longer plugged into the power outlet, that instrument in the hands of whomever it is to do great things will very quickly die out. And I think a lot of us are trying to use curling irons that are not plugged in. We're trying to to do our house church ministry. We're trying to teach our students. We're trying to live life. We're trying to evangelize to our friends. Using a curling iron that was plugged in for a little bit and so it's working for a little but it's not going to last. That fruit's going to go bad pretty quickly, and it's going to rot. Guys, apart from Jesus, you can do, I can do. He doesn't say, you can't do much. He says, you can do nothing, nothing. Lord, I need you. Every second of my life, I need you. What does this mean to bear fruit? See, to me, this was a huge change because in my mind, up until that point, I thought, here, my duty is to produce the fruit in my life. Jesus saying, no, 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 no. I never asked you to produce fruit in your life. Okay, get this right. This is huge. Jesus never said, if you remain in me, you will produce much fruit. He never said that. The only thing he calls us to do is to bear fruit. In other words, connecting to Jesus he is the one who's going to produce the fruit. Your job is simply to abide and remain in him and you will bear the fruit that God's spirit is producing in you. Let me break it down this way. This is how we talk about it in Harvest 201. We say there's two ways that you can bear fruit. And what by fruit? Galatians 5. Okay, here's what the fruit is. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you have these things in your life? Okay. This is what I mean. This is the fruit that he's talking about. There's a bunch of other things that you can see here. Answer, prayer, joy, love, all that stuff. But this is the baseline. Fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Right. This is the fruit of the Spirit. So you could think in your life, man, you know what? I stink. I'm not very loving. So I'm going to wake up today, and I'm going to choose to love. There's that person in my life that I don't really like, because his locker's next to mine and he smells funny and he always like somehow opens up his bag and there's like rotting food and then he like puts it next to me and it stinks and I gotta love this, I gotta love this person, I gotta love this person. This is what a lot of us do. Or I gotta be more joyful, I gotta be more joyful, I gotta be more joyful, I gotta choose joy today, I gotta choose joy today. That's gonna go a little bit But what that's doing is we're producing fruit from the outside in. It's like going to Publix, buying a bag of oranges, taking this tree that you're going to call an orange tree, but really it's a cactus, and then you stick those oranges around it and say, look guys, I got an orange tree. That's what a lot of us try to do. We try to produce fruit from the outside in, just stapling oranges and fruit and apples on the outside of us and say, "All right, I'm more loving today. But like a a curling iron that's not plugged in, it's not going to last very long. That's mechanical fruit bearing, Tim Keller says. The real way is organically, right? Botanically, not mechanically, botanically. When you're connected to the life-giving sap that is God's Spirit living out of you, then from the inside out you will begin to produce, I'm sorry, you'll begin to bear the fruit that the Spirit of God is producing. Here's how we know further evidence that this is what he's talking about. In Galatians 5, you can read it on your own, but it does not say... But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, on and on and on and on. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the singular fruit, not the plural fruit. If it was plural fruit, then you could choose and pick which fruit you want to grow in, but it's singular, meaning that if you're connected to the vine, then you will be growing in the fruit of the Spirit, which is all of these things. In other words, if you're growing in one, you will be growing in all nine. And if you're not... It's because you're not remaining in the vine that is Jesus. Now, you could be doing it from the outside in. Yeah, have become more loving these days. What about your joy? Yeah, not really. Or have you become more peaceful people? No, not really. Have you become more patient? Oh, I'm growing there, but that's kind of part of love, isn't it? No. If you're growing in one you will be growing in all nine because the fruit of the Spirit is singular and they grow together organically and botanically from the inside out. That's what Jesus is saying. How then do we do this? What is your part? Verse five, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Man, isn't that awesome? Like, I don't want to bear much fruit. Hey, like, you want to bear much fruit? Like, I, man, I don't want to be like this, this tree that walks around, got like one little apple hanging off of that somebody can eat and then it's all gone. Oh, man, I want to bear. I want to, like, have fruit all over me, like, to be colorful and all of these things. And people are like, dang, whoever gardens you, he's a master. That is amazing. How you do this? It says you remain in the vine. I think we understand what that word means, but you don't use this word "remain" very often these days, do you? <laughs> you're with your kids, and uh, you're at Publix. I gotta go get ice cream, but it's too cold because y'all wearing short-sleeved shirts. So, hey guys, remain here for a second. Do you say that? I don't say. I don't know anyone who said that. Remain here. Say, stay here for a second. But we understand it's the same thing. Stay, linger, hang out here for a little bit. But Jesus is saying, if a man remains in me, Jesus is saying, hey, remain here with me. Don't leave me after church is done on Sunday. Don't leave me on Monday morning. Don't leave me from 8.30 to 5.30 every day. Stay here with me. So We're saying, God, I want to be with you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to fall in love with you. I want to just be near to where you are. I want to feed off of you. I want to be close to you. How do you do that? Verse 7, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, it'll be given you. He's talking about the word of God and prayer. That's it. Guys, I will always say this, no matter how advanced we get as a culture, as a society, and technology, and all of these things, we'll never, ever, ever grow apart from the word of God, bam. And prayer, bam, nail these 10 pegs down in your heart as bedrock convictions that I will not waver from these things. Guys, without these things, you will do nothing. And then people, instead of seeing the fruit of your life glorify God, they'll glorify you. And here's what happens when the fruit of your life begins to wear off, then they're going to see the real me. And they're going to realize, wow, you know what? He wasn't that great to begin with. Dang. He's saying, you got to remain in me. Remain in me. Stay with me. Linger with me. Abide with me. Make your home in me, Jesus says. But then he says the other thing too, and I in you. You're saying, come and make my heart your home. Oh, Lord, my heart longs to be. You remember this song? A habitation fit for thee. Is your heart a home that Jesus would be like, Dang, that's my crib. (laughs) I like that place. That place makes me feel at home. What are the things in our lives that would make Jesus not quite feel at home? Come and make my heart your home, Jesus. Years ago, Robert Boyd Munger wrote this great little book called My Heart, Christ's Home. (laughs) It's a great book. It talks about how when we invite Jesus into our lives, it's like he comes and and makes his dwelling in us. And he compares our heart uh, to Jesus' home, saying, come and live in me. Come and live here. And as he comes and lives, you take him on a tour of the house and Man, instantly Jesus comes in, and that which was empty becomes full. That which is dark, like he turns the light on. That which is like quiet and silent is filled with laughter and music and singing. This is what Jesus does when he comes to make his home in you. And then you show Jesus the different rooms of your house, the family room. Ooh, Like there's people that I hang out with that maybe not the best for me to hang out with right now because they cause me to do things that would dishonor the name of Christ. They need Jesus, but maybe for a season I need to kind of withdraw from them. There's also entertainment, things that I watch and things that I see and things that I play with and toys that I have that, yeah, you know what? Jesus probably wouldn't like these things being here if he's going to live within my heart. You take him to the dining room of your desires, What are the desires in your life? Are they pleasing to the Lord? Are they honoring to him? Take him to the kitchen of your passions and of your things that you love. Take him to the rec room that has all of your talents and your gifts, and you're giving Jesus every room. Then he walks by this one room, the den, and he says, this is a beautiful room. I like this room. How about every morning, you and me, every morning, you and me, we get together in this room, and we'll talk. We'll just enjoy being together. We'll pull off one of the books that I wrote off the shelf, and, and I'll teach you, and I'll speak to your heart. And then you can tell me your desires, and I'll talk to the Father, and he'll make these things known. And you're like, man, that sounds so awesome. I love that, Jesus. I want to do that. You're going to, you're going to every day. Jesus said, I promise I'll be here every day. I'll be waiting for you. And you're so excited to go to bed because you wanna wake up and you wanna be with Jesus and you wanna abide in Him, you wanna remain in Him, you wanna stay with Him, and you get down and, and you, He sits on the chair and He's got coffee for you and you're with Him, and it's so good. He's feeding you the treasures of the word of God. It's like honey on your lips. And you're like, oh, this is beautiful. And you're you're talking to him and you're engaging. And he's giving out of the storehouse of his father's riches and giving it to you. And you're so excited. You're like, man, this is sweet. I can't wait till tomorrow. You go to bed and you come down again and you're doing this and you're loving life. and, And fruit is popping out of your life. And people are like, dang, what are you doing these days? Just being with Jesus. And then in time, life starts getting busy. And one day you just pop in, you're like, Jesus, hey, um, I'll come back tomorrow, but I I got so much going on, I'll I'll, I'll be back tomorrow. Jesus says, okay, and you walk out. And you go through this pattern for a little bit, and and after a while, this stuff of life begins to suffocate you, and, and then the desire for Jesus begins to dissipate. Until the Jesus who lives within your home becomes almost like a stranger, even within your own house. This goes on for a week, a month. How long has it been going on? I don't know. A year? Two years? And one day as you're rushing out the door, you go down early in the morning and you see the light on in the den. The door's open a little bit. You're like, hmm, someone left the light on. You walk in and you realize, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, what are you doing here? He said, I promised that I would be here every day waiting for you, abiding, remaining, waiting, being faithfully here. go, like, oh, my gosh, Jesus, I totally forgot. Would you forgive me, Jesus? I'm sorry. Jesus says, Do you have just a second? Come sit. No condemnation, just complete love in his voice. Sit down, you put your bag down. Says, I promised you when you first put your trust in me and invited me into your home that I would be faithful and I would never leave. And I won't, no matter what you do. But I think you began to think of this time only for what it meant to you. And you never thought what it meant to me. Don't you see I love you? I love you so much. I just want to be with you. I want to be with you. When you don't, that's okay. I'm not not angry. I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to cut you off. I'm never going to let you go. But that's what my heart wants, so much more than your heart wants. And so today, he invites us back to that place to say, come and make my heart your home. What would that look like in our lives? imagine how much fruit would be born out of your life like your parents would see something different in you my gosh my daughter has become so much more patient so much more gentle she used to scream at me whenever i would say anything but now she's different man my my son my sister my brother my parents like your kids You went through this parenting seminar and you said, I am the touch of God in the life of my child. I am the look of God. I'm the voice of God. I'm the hand of God. I'm the love of God. And you went throughout these past two weeks and you failed miserably. But what if you began to abide in Jesus? And then your kids began to say, man, it's a different mommy. It's a different daddy. What is going on? And all of a sudden, as they see you, the things that they hear in Kingdom Keepers and our children's ministry is making sense that your father, your mother, that God loves you with an everlasting love, and they're beginning to see that, and they begin to grow in Christ. What would that look like in your workplace, in your school, as you begin to bear fruit for the glory of God? God will do whatever it takes, but you've got to abide in him. There was a time when my daughter, our daughter, Manny, was about two, and Olive and I, I think, you know, Olive likes to pull weeds out of the the garden. So, you know, she may have been pulling weeds, and Manny might have seen that. But we've got weeds that come up, and Olive's pulling them out. And then there's also these trees that grandfather, uh, that my father-in-law, Olive's dad, had planted, uh, that have these beautiful fruit coming out, not fruit, not fruit, flowers coming off of them. So Olive is pulling out the weeds Here's Manny, like Mama. She's walking around, two years old, walking around, and she sees a beautiful flower. And just like Mommy's pulling stuff out, she decides to pull the flower out. She goes to the next one, pulls the flowers out. She comes back with all these flowers. Like, Manny, no. (laughs) You know how much Grandpa worked in order to plant these things? No, Manny. And I probably overreacted, and she felt bad. And so she took them, and she went to where she pulled them off from and tried to stick them back on only to realize that she couldn't. And I realized, precious child, Manny. So I gave her a hug. I said, Manny, there's good ones and there's bad ones. You got to pull out the bad ones, but you don't pull out the good ones. That happens. Mistakes happen. Except when God, the Father, looked at that great, great, great vine and he saw the most fruit-bearing one, full of life, Jesus said, I'm the true vine, the most fruitful one that you could ever see. And God the Father cut it off. When you and I, non-fruit-bearing, unfruitful, unfaithful, undeserving, unabiding, unremaining, should have gotten cut off and thrown into the fire, to the most beautiful one, God cuts the vine. And on the cross, Jesus is abandoned in order that we might be grafted in to this vine so that we might go and bear fruit. This is God. This is his love. This is what Jesus willingly did for us. Not my will, but yours be done, even if it means that I take the place of the sinners and they take the place of the righteous one. And so it is that people like you and me sing this song oh no you never let go you'll never let go of me because jesus was let go of in order that we might be brought in it's that jesus who willingly did that for you and me who willingly sits in the den of your heart and of your house every morning and says i promise i'll be here would you come would you be with me that i might make your heart my home let's pray Here's the greatest truth that the world will ever know. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. You're never too old to go back to the ABCs. In fact, that is not just ABC. It's the A through Z of life. Abide in my love, he says. One simple prayer This morning, guys, can you just pray and make a commitment to remain in Christ? The effort is not to produce fruit, guys. The effort is to remain in the vine. The effort is not to be more loving, more faithful, more joyful. The effort is to connect with Jesus. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace is never opposed to effort. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am who I am, and I worked harder than anybody else. We work hard, but the working is so that we might connect to Jesus. If you work hard, it's to create the space and the time to be with Jesus. His work in us is to produce the fruit. We bear it. The work is not to try to be more this, that, and the other. The work of God, the work of God is that. The work of our part remain in Jesus. Apart from him, you and I can do nothing. Let's pray. Just ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. He'll answer. Jesus, have you been waiting for me all this time? Have you been here all this time? And with eyes of compassionate love, I have and I always will. Let's invite him to come and make his heart, his home in our hearts right now. Lord Jesus, it may not be every morning for me, but maybe every right after school. Maybe it be every morning right before breakfast. Every night before I take a shower. Jesus, you and me. Jesus and me. Jam time. Yeah. This is us. Let's pray. Jesus, I am yours. I'm yours. I love you. I want to love you more. I want to be more fruitful for the glory of God. Let's pray for a few moments and then I'll pray on our behalf. Father in heaven, what a beautiful Jesus we know. What heights of love, what depths of peace afforded to his children, the children of the Father through Jesus the Son. And so, Father, we ask that you would take the confessions of our hearts to want to be a place where Jesus dwells and abides and remains and calls home. And that you would give us the strength to honor it in order that our lives would bear fruit for the glory of God. Thank you for loving us because you've loved us that we know what love is. And because you are love, and love you in return. Help us to love you even more, to be even more fruitful for your glory and for our blessing and for the witness of Christ in our world. In Jesus' name we pray.